can only remove these sweets from in front of me because there also will be bad sweets that we can't stop eating. <laughs> bad sweets. This is Fred Barricade, the lamest podcast. My name is Nemo Martin. I'm your moderator. Uh, I use they them pronouns, and I have bought the cursed. Skittles covered in yogurt, and they're just so. It's not like the coat. I expected the candy coating to be like yogurt flavored, because you know you can get candy coating that is like it's like milkier candy, not yeah. like there's a skittle that you just <laughs> dumped in some yogurt, like yogurt covered raisins, but instead of raisin. It's just a skittle. <laughs> just it, a normal skittle as well, not a, a, a milkier skittle. Yeah, when we opened the bag it just smelt like oh, it had curdled milk. Oh, <laughs> it's because I went to Poundland and they always had the like um, things that they couldn't sell. <laughs> the reject. Mm-hmm. And last year they sold spicy skittles and they were the best <laughs> skittles I've ever had in my life. Oh. They were like kind of chilly. Like sweet and chili. That sounds mm, like that sound good, my favorite. Yeah, mm-hmm. and like I went and bought like five packs and then sent some to Julian in Malaysia, mm-hmm. and then like went back the next day and they were gone forever. Yeah. So I was like, got to stockpile these yogurt coated ones just in case they're good. <laughs> well, we found the answer. And it, oh, it's kinda. Yeah, it kinda <laughs> is. Damn. Damn. Well, that was a long intro. <laughs> I'm Grace, and I'm your primary researcher. I use they them pronouns, and I haven't brought any cursed snacks. Just sick wraps? Just no, <laughs> unfortunately not. <laughs> yeah, um, but I am. I'm. I'm cut free. I'm. I'm out of education. For, maybe for the last time. I'm out of my flat, and I'm back living home with my parents. <laughs> Woo! Woo! <laughs> Great. <laughs> Congrats on graduating. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. You did it. Yeah. No, I have I've I've won I've won twelve awards over my three years three years there. Four good. awards a year. It's Four pretty good. Yeah, it's pretty solid. It's pretty solid rate. I was gonna say six awards a year and I was like, wow, basic maths. <laughs> <laughs> Yikes. Yeah. All of these queers in this room. Can't do that. <laughs> I did that maths very quickly. Yeah. <laughs> well done. And Stevie you Secondary researcher. <laughs> she had pronouns. The host of the house. Yeah. Uh, so I guess that's my accomplishment. Yeah. Start thinking about talking the of accomplishments. <laughs> talking of maths. If you're good. None of this is getting any better. I love how my Actually. microphone equipment cases are just now snack receptacles. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Talk of snack receptacles. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Madeline was not facing as much opposition as he was before. <laughs> oh, you know Madeline. He's a snack receptacle. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have I have not entirely improved. I did underline a word that I didn't understand and failed to um, look up what it meant. Calumny. Never fucking heard it. Yeah, let's hear it in a sentence. Calumny. At first, Monsieur Madeleine had been subjected to the ill-reported calumny that by a sort of law afflict all of those who become prominent. The act of uttering false charges or misrepresentations maliciously calculated to harm another's reputation. That feels more like it. That feels right. 
Well, that's a word that we know now. And we'll instantly forget and <laughs> never be able to use yeah. in a sentence. Yeah. No, never again. Yeah. He's not having as much issues with people um, talking calumny about him. <laughs> <laughs> um, and um, everyone is starting to sort of respect him in uh, montreuil sur mer where apparently in 1821 people think he's fucking fantastic. Um, people come from 20 miles around to ask his opinions on the law and disputes and reconciling enemies so people are basically coming from all around to ask his opinion on how things should be handled and um, he's trusted to judge fairly as though his guiding spirit were a book of natural law when i first read this two weeks ago i underlined that like i had a point to make (laughs) (laughs) and the problem is i can't remember what it was (laughs) because i didn't write anything next to it Something, something, Javert, something, something, Fontaine, something, something, the yeah. purpose of this book. Yes, maybe Fontaine. There, there, yeah, there is a trust that he will judge fairly, but we see him falter mm. fairly, fairly soon. Or at least in the plot of the musical, there is that, like that sort of slight lapse in judgment where he lets something slide. So we get, we get a fun, um, one man only was wholly immune from the contagion and regardless of what Monsieur Madeleine did, refused to succumb to it as though from an unassailable instinct of wariness and distrust. Who could it be? <laughs> <laughs> Who we gonna get? It seems indeed that there exists in some men a genuinely animal instinct, pure and authentic as are all instincts. And the thing that I found interesting about that is that we are introduced to this mystery boy in the same sort of way as we get the description of um, Madame Thenardier. Mm. She's described in the same way as having animal instincts like around her children, around that sort of thing. So it's the same sort of at. <laughs> no, I've never mm. thought about the comparisons between Madame Thenardier and Javert before. Mm. But that would be real. That's actually really helpful to me. There's more. <laughs> like, Just wait. <laughs> I can go back and look at the different ones and then mm. draw. Okay. Mm. Let's do it. Yeah, it's we get introduced to this character who we've not been named yet. <laughs> who could it be? It's this sort of this idea of this sort of infallible judgment that comes from this character, um, who rejects any potential outside influence to that thought and um Disdaining all outward appearances, secretly warned the man-dog of the presence of the man-cat, the man-fox of the presence of the man-lion, which is just, like, the, the, it keeps drawing back to this, especially, very heavily with Javert, um, this animal imagery constantly talking, you know, the idea of, of predators and instinctive behaviour. Mm. Um, yeah, the, the man-dog in the presence of the man-cat is the sort of thing, it's the person the man in that role is mm. what I've taken from it. Werewolves. <laughs> Maybe werewolves. Mm. Yeah, transhumanism. Yeah. That's all I have to say. <laughs> Probably werewolves, yeah, I reckon. So we get this sort of image of um, Monsieur Madeleine walking through um, the streets of Emsaram and uh, being greeted by all the people around him like who, who think he's fucking fantastic mm-hmm. and looks up and there's this this tall man in a grey tailcoat carrying a heavy stick and wearing a low brimmed hat and it's just like this <laughs> really absurd like almost uh, 
noirish sort of image of <laughs> like walking down the street and then there's just like this uh, this figure just like lurking <laughs> this person would watch him until he was out of sight um slowly slowly sl- shaking his head and thrusting his uh, his lower lip against his upper until it reached his nose in a sort of purposeful grimace which seemed to say who is that man i've seen him before anyway he isn't fooling me <laughs> absolutely like the biggest rom-com character like <laughs> also just like who wrote that dialogue it was victor hugo but what the fuck <laughs> like, that's, that's not very good you know when the like sassy main character of chick flick is like sees the smug popular guy mm. and then it's like he's not fooling uh, me i don't yeah i'm not like other girls <laughs> Well, you like this. <laughs> he was one of those people who, even glimpsed, made an Im- immediate impression. There was an intensity about him that was almost a threat. His name was Javert, and he belonged to the police. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and there's, there's that sort of... Yeah, I love intensity about him that was almost a threat, but then I mean, the choice of phrasing, and we must remember this is a translation, but... He was not a police officer. He belonged to the police, mm. which is very good, very interesting. Tidy. <laughs> yeah. Is that like the the comparison to "I bought your soul for God"? He sold his mm. he sold his soul to police. Yeah, because he was walked out of the prison system. Yeah, because mm. he was a baby in jail, so he was sponsored from being a prison baby. When he took up his present post, which he owed to owed to the influence of the Paris Prefecture of the Police, that stuff comes a little bit later on. Yeah, there is maybe that impression that there are parallels there in someone being sort of... <laughs> That's a nice radio. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Grace made so. a lifting up motion <laughs> and putting down. And placed. Yeah. <laughs> um, yes. Hmm. It's interesting. I hadn't really thought about it. In as direct a way as a parallel between the bishop and the police. Mm. Well, it was just that particular wording. I don't know if it, how it would be in the original translation, but yeah, it's just mm. the people who immediately made me think of the Bible, what you That's really interesting. Especially because of the whole, like, yeah, whoever, like, sponsors you or whoever picks you up of the, like, bad place you're in mm. definitely directs how your life is going to go. Yeah, so if yeah, you're in the prison system mm. and either someone helps you in a non-judgment way or like for for Javert I don't think this like obviously we uh, we have problems with the police system and but for Javert this was a way of him getting out of his toxic system and because of the opportunities that the police system has given him got out of where he was and I know yeah it's problematic and got out of prison into the police system yeah yeah it, it's the sort of one created by the other sort of so yeah. it's yeah it, it feels like there's there's something cyclical about it he performed the distasteful but necessary duties of a police inspector yeah so he comes along to um Mr. M after um, Pear Madeleine has become Monsieur Madeleine, so he's already got a little bit of authority authority mm-hmm. in there. Mm-hmm. He's not, 
he's not just the kindly old man walking through the streets and that sort of thing. He mm. has already started to become a businessman. So he doesn't see him also save the kids from the burning building and all of that sort of thing. There's this one sentence which is quite contradictory to lots of the things that were said earlier that confuses me. Certain police officers have a particular cast of countenance in which primitive instincts are mingled with an air of authority. Javert had the air of authority, but without the primitive instincts. Which is just like the opposite of everything we said mm. before. Yeah, that is weird, because like, mm. all of the animal imagery and stuff is mm. primitive instincts. Mm. Weird. Mm. Yeah, maybe that's a translator thing, or... Mm. Yeah, there's like, the one thing that we know about Javert mm. so far is that he's an animal boy. <laughs> yes. It seems indeed that there exists in some men a genuinely animal instinct, pure and authentic authentic as are all instincts does he mean in the second one primitive as in not animal but as in early man like he's a primitive animal but Mm. not a primitive human Mm. maybe oh i get maybe things like well but the animal things i would associate and human things but like lust and greed and the sins um like hedonistic desires yeah so maybe that's what he's talking about perhaps yeah maybe but then i would associate those with i would have thought that those would be associated with animal instincts as well i would Mm. have thought that those came from the same root but then the animals that he was compared to before were like cat and dog and things like that yeah he was the rather than like pig which you would usually associate for greed and slovenliness slovenliness and like whatever lustful animal exists i guess (laughs) and like rats and stuff like that Mm. like those kind of like animals with scare quotes negative Mm. imagery associated with them whereas he's given animals that are your instinct when you think about them is like their quickness or their cunning or their the impression seems to be they're they're all hunting animals they're Mm. they're they're all predators but but um is in something that will hunt you, not creepy implication of predator, like some like a predatory hunting animal. Mm. Um, between there's a, a, a um, he's described as being like a tiger, um, as uh, also as being like a, a wolf. Yeah, so maybe that like tracks. Yeah. In the, he just seems a clumsy, a clumsy sort of. Yeah. Yeah, maybe we can look up this chapter of another mm-hmm. translation to see at some point we'll see yeah i think i've got a couple on my phone yeah mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. this is one of the bits that i find weird and that i well not that i find weird that i enjoy i know um you've read his dark materials yeah you have you i can't i don't I did, you yeah. did but like a <laughs> i just want to read some of these this this these couple of bits out because it's it's very very that It is our belief that if the soul were visible to the eye, every member of the human species would be seen to correspond to some species of the animal world, and a truth scarcely perceived by thinkers would be readily confirmed, namely that from the oyster to the eagle, from the swine to the tiger, all animals are to be found in men, and in each of them exists in some men, sometimes several at a time. Animals are nothing but the portrayal of our virtues and vices made manifest to our eyes, the visible reflection of our souls. God displays them to us to give us food for thought. But since they are no more than shadows, he has, has made them, he has not made them educa- educable 
in the full sense of the world. Why should he do so? Our souls, on, on the other hand, being realities with a purpose proper to themselves, have been endowed with intelligence, that is to say, the power to learn. Well-managed social education can extract from any human spirit, no matter what, what, of what kind, such usefulness as it contains. Like, that was just his dark material. That's just what it is. Like, <laughs> like everything from the like, since they are no more than shadows mm. and stuff is is a like are terms that are explicitly used in the te- in the book and that. Mm. Interesting. <laughs> yeah, and it's just one of those. Yeah, like that. Those two paragraphs are basically the entirety of yeah. those three books. <laughs> like. And there are quite a few um, crossover artwork, mm. like fan arts. There's a couple fix. Mm. I wonder if Philip Pullman ever read this. Mm. Um, I mean, I think he replies to tweets. So. <laughs> yeah. How, how do you feel about this, Philip Pullman? <laughs> Granted the su- supposition that in every man there is contained a species of the animal kingdom, we may at once place Inspector Javert. The Asturian peasants believe that in every wolf litter there is a dog whelp which the mother kills. Because otherwise, when it grows larger, it will devour the rest of the rest of her young. Oh my god! <laughs> Endow this dog with a human face, and you have Javert. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I think it's from. Um, oh, from uh, um, what we do in the shadows. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's been going around recently, and it's. It was because he. Like in medieval art, whenever they drew art, uh, cats, mm. they always had a human oh, face. Yeah. And then, yeah, in that movie, he used to be really good at animal transformation, but he can never get the face right anymore. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but that's what I imagine you'd have to look like now. <laughs> the movie's the same, except for Javert is literally just a dog with his face. <laughs> I want to Photoshop that. <laughs> okay. Um, here is an important paragraph. <laughs> here is something that is actually important although like that is within within a so within every wolf litter there is a dog whelp which the mother must kill because otherwise it will kill the rest of the litter within society there is there are people who will just destroy everyone around them mm. like it's it's a it's a strong it's a strong a strong thing to say <laughs> Yeah, for one of the, his introduction as well. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know how much I like this. Like, it's so different to how we think. Just what we think of as good writing now. It's like here is this character. Here is all this information about them. Mm. Off they go into the world. <laughs> like it's it's not it's 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 not necessarily how we sort of expect things to be conducted no. nowadays. That. I don't know. I, I don't think this is what you meant to imply by that. But like the idea of someone who is born into the world evil and that like someone like the mum has to kill it before it goes out is really I mean, it's based on the problematic stuff of like exposing kids in Greek and basically every time period still yeah. happens now if yeah. they're visibly disabled. Yeah. from birth or like have birth defects or like have come out in scare quotes wrong mm. you kill it because oh it's obviously dangerous and evil and that kind of idea of Javert I mean it doesn't actually say that his mom thought of him this way yeah. but it already sets up the idea that even from 
first mm. he was marked as an outlier and that there are that people have always treated him in a certain yeah. way which probably doesn't help with all of the stuff that happens in the future not yeah. to say that's excusable because you no. know people who are different are also can also be terrible humans yeah. and should also be held accountable for that but. yeah mm. but there is maybe something to say about like if you're set up from the beginning as mm. being a terrible person then it's probably easier to fall into that stereotype or to use it for your own gain and good mm. because it's easier than fighting against it that i think that's that's really interesting as well because it, it draws a dichotomy between things that even even things that hugo has said so far mm. like if someone if in every litter there is a, a dog whelp that will grow larger and just and devour everyone around them mm. what does that mean for society making its own demons mm. like what does that those to me can't exist in the same in the same world mm. unless what you're saying is unless in the sort of extension of this analogy the the um mother wolf attempts to kill the, this particular dog whelp and and it survives and is twisted against the rest yeah, of the litter yeah. like it doesn't those um metaphors i don't think ex can exist mm. next to each other and and the um nettles one of it yeah. being a weed versus mm. being something useful about yeah, exactly. how you see it oh yeah you've got one dog pup but like that's just it just needs to be killed because yeah it, because mm -hmm. it, otherwise it'll kill everyone else but then surely that's how people see nettles and then like so Hugo, yeah, what are you doing? <laughs> You're just like I just really need them to know that he's, he's gonna bad. He's bad. He's a bad person. He's like forget everything else I've said yeah. for this one parent. <laughs> yeah. yeah. He had been born in prison, a son of a fortune teller whose husband was in the galleys. As he grew older, he came to believe that he was outside society with no prospect of ever entering it. But he noted that there were two classes of men whom society keeps inexorably at arm's length those who prey upon it and those who protect it. The only, op the only choice open to him was between those two. At the same time, he was a man of profound instinct for correctitude, mm -hmm. regularity and probity, and with a consuming hatred for the vagabond order to which he himself belonged, he joined the police. This is the most quoted Javert <laughs> text. <laughs> All of this. Yeah. <laughs> right, discuss. Nemo, take it away. <laughs> <laughs> it's your <boy>. yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't know how much of this is stuff that I've said before. Uh, I don't know. Oh, mm. Now that it's here. Yeah, now that it's here. God, I wasn't actually prepared for this. <laughs> I though. have one. Well, yeah, if you want to, well, you'll see. Yeah. I think. That in the essay that I would have to write on how he Hugo represents people born poor, so far we've had Javert, who was born poor, mm. described bestially. We've had Mrs. Tenardier described bestially. Mm. And we've had Jean Valjean, who was also poor, and then had the, like, wolf imagery. Yeah, I just remembered that. Mm. Yeah, he was also described as a caged wolf. Yeah, so I could turn that into an essay of him describing the poor as bestial. Animals. Yeah, mm. as animals. Yeah. At this point in the book. 
Yeah. Does Fontaine ever get described as an animal? No, because Fontaine is very beautiful. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> Lest you forget. Yeah. Oh yeah, she's a woman and she's pretty, yeah. so yeah. Yeah, she's a woman and she's a good woman, so she's beautiful. Yeah. When she wait, no, we've not had that yet. Well, I'll keep an eye out for when she attack well, defends herself against the man in the snow. Yeah. Yeah, there's there's more here as well because there's some something that's that people often draw from this. Um, from what I've read, and I know that you've um, invested in this a lot as well, that the son of a fortune teller whose husband was in the galleys, lots of people read as um, Javert being Romani. Yeah, but that's mostly based on that one translation that happened. So, which one was that? When, when this book was first translated into English, they like speed ran translating mm. it, and the word for vagabond that's used mm. here um was bohemian or and mm. uh the translator whose name i have completely forgotten um he translated that to uh the g slur so mm. romani slur and so after that every translation even until the 80s that used his the original wilbur wilbur i think um translation Trans- that. Yeah, so mm-hmm. they translated it to be the Gisla. And then because of Hugo's mm-hmm. um, punchback of Notre Dame and his use of fortune tellers in that mm-hmm. and the like, the stereotype that fortune tellers were Romani people mm-hmm. and criminals, they uh, amalgamated the idea that, oh, fortune teller, bohemian Romani. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that's why a lot of people have now started being like, "Oh yeah, he's Romani," and it's a, it's quite problematic mm. in in the idea of like, even if you even if you don't know about this translation stuff, like the idea that all Romani people are fortune tellers and criminals yeah. is yeah. like a widely held belief, especially yeah. in France and the UK. Mm. So, yeah, there. I mean, there are a couple of Romani people who have talked about this before. There are two blogs uh, specifically that I know of who are Romani people who like Les Mis. Mm. And I think the general consensus before the stuff about the translation came out was, yeah. oh, it's nice to see anyone, like, putting Romani people into their fan fiction and to, like, as long as you're doing it respectfully yeah. and you do research yeah, and stuff. Yeah. But then... Some people have pointed out the whole stuff about bohemian and yeah. like vagabond and criminality, and it they're like it into a different. Yeah, mm-hmm. if you're only if you're only portraying these people as Romani because of fortune teller and criminal, mm. and they're in prison mm. and like he's shitty and he treats children badly, yeah. then that's yeah, it. Shouldn't yeah. be said yeah, that yeah. you should not be doing yeah. that. Yeah. So yeah. it depends on how like I mean I'm not Romani so I can't give authority about this i think as with any kind of racial mm. uh, i was gonna say race bending that's not what it is like if you put any kind of the, racial the identity of, yeah, of characters then you know just be aware of what stereotypes you're basing this mm. on and what kind of picture you're giving out and mm. why when you read criminal and vagabond you instantly went oh they have to be a dark skinned person or a person of colour or like mm. XYZ kind of thing. Yeah. So this paragraph, I mean, this is the paragraph that I based my PhD 
proposal on. Mm. So yeah, it's like overwhelming for me to hear. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, so I want to clarify that I looked to you on this because I knew that you'd done a lot of reading. About yeah, it, yeah, no, not no, because no, I expected yeah, you to be able to speak with authority on that. Yeah, yeah on that yeah. Um, point. That's really interesting. I didn't know about the translation. The oh, yeah. the I hadn't read any of the stuff about that aspect of the translation. Mm. It basically was uh, Hugo used. Okay, this might be wrong, but I think this is the right way around. Mm. He used the word bohem. So you have bohemian, you have bohem. So like bohemian, but with an e on the end. Yeah. And they mean different things. Mm. One means like a bohemian lifestyle, and one means mm. bohemian people, which I think is Czech Republic or somewhere in Eastern Europe. I was writing a Spider Man fan fiction yeah. the other day, and they went to Prague, <laughs> and then Bohemian <laughs> came up, so uh-huh. Uh-huh. somewhere uh-huh. in Eastern Europe, I think. Um, but yeah, bohemian lifestyle in in that kind of like bohemia as a genre versus bohemian yeah. people mm. who aren't bohemian in the way that we use typically use it like la bohème kind of mm. thing so mm. yeah but wilbur mistranslated it the first time and then because of that everyone's like oh yeah bohemian yeah, bohemian that, that's, yeah, yeah 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 i suppose it's the thing where it's i wonder what hugo's intention was because mm. <laughs> that like it's the thing where like is that is is um javert being romani something that he's leaning into by draw by drawing on those those words that people have a problematic association so he's with not money. subtle he would no, just do it yeah that right is like and yeah. uh hunchback of notre dame is just yeah. full of it yeah, exactly. so yeah. the fact that he hasn't maybe yeah. might be quite a big indicator yeah. of that they're not yeah but then at no, the time not. there would have been such strong associations in france at the time true but then but then oh, i can't remember if this is I feel like I read on maybe one of these posts that I was talking about mm. that we, there wasn't actually that association between Fortune Teller and Romani at that time. That's something mm. that we've come to associate it because mm-hmm. of Hugo. Oh. And that oh, wow. it might actually have been certain French people, like poor white French people mm. or maybe Irish people. I can't remember. Some either traveller people who were not mm. Romani mm. or something else i'll put it in the show notes if i can find it but yeah the idea of like romani people being fortune tellers came from hugo rather oh than the gosh, other way around yeah. yeah. wow. was notre dame and um he did a whole separate um thing just on uh, something something esmeralda uh i can't remember the yeah. full title but he did like a another thing what was so, this book guys I feel like that it maybe came before Romanius. Hunchback is published in 1831. When was it? Oh. 45? 1862. Wow, okay, yeah, so Hunchback of Notre Dame came out 30 years before. So maybe he's drawing on his own (laughs) stereotypes that he's created. Maybe, I mean, 30 years is a long time to be like, maybe I shouldn't use Romani the slur for Romani people in this Mm. book. I doubt it. I really doubt doubt it. it. (laughs) Um, especially because even now it's not that like it's not that widely known that the gisla is a slur yeah. word mm, right. so in 1862 like mm. what the fuck's he doing mm. like yeah people use it to describe like fashion like yeah yeah so lots of the other interesting parts in here um just the idea of 
as he as him growing older come to realize that he was outside of society with no prospect of ever entering it mm. is ties in very interestingly to what you were saying about you know the imagery around um killing the dog whelp and that sort of thing mm. like and the way that someone is shaped as an outsider mm. and the the personality that, that forges yeah noting that um two classes of men whom society keeps in inextricably at arm's length those who prey upon it and those who protect it and i think there's an interesting play that hugo is making because the way that i've always read javert i know that we read javert in one way but i don't see that i think hugo wrote javert to be someone who would usually be the hero of a story who is the villain mm. Mm. i think that i think that that is the intention with the way that javert was written and that valjean is the person who would usually be the villain of the story who is the hero and i think that is the point that he is making with it but because that's more common in texts now mm. we are desensitized we're to desensitized it. to how shocking that would be mm. and then we start reading back into uh, back into javert and i don't think there's a, it's any less legitimate for that mm. and um, and into valjean and that but i think i, I do think that, that his intention was that so i think with the um those who prey upon it and those who protect it he's playing with a dichotomy of his intention is of of javert's intention is that he goes to he chooses to protect it mm. but he's portrayed for the rest of the text as preying upon society mm-hmm. give me some thoughts behind mm. your thoughtful face <laughs> the the first the first thought i had was because Jean Valjean and Javert initially were the same character, mm. and that they were split. So the idea of them being a villain and hero, yeah, I mean, tracks because mm. Javert, the Jean, I'm trying not to use Valver because that's the <laughs> ship name, <laughs> yeah, sure. but the Jean Ver, when he was one character, having both of their positives and both of their negatives. Because mm. then you give some of the positives and some of the negatives. Yeah, it, I hadn't thought about us being desensitized to that underdog story, but I I mm. think of um, The Wire and shows like that, which I think for a lot of people in our generation are kind of like the lame is. I've not seen The Wire. <laughs> Sorry. Okay, so it's a TV show. Um, All I know about it is that that's the one where Fuck. Yeah, yeah. Fuck came from. Mm. Um, so the the basic premise of it is the war on drugs mm. and it's half focused on the police force the narcotics unit and it's half focused on the like ghetto areas scare quotes mm. where drug use is rife and the selling of drugs is daily life and it's really interesting in how the police characters and the community characters interact and at first it's very much like us and them mm. and then you get things like you know what you get in every cop drama of like the informants informants mm. and stuff the, like in, that the word that came was collaborators but i think that's too strong <laughs> yeah. yeah the informants and then and then you start to see the cop characters developing feelings but like spending mm. so much time mm. in these areas where at first they're like hostile and get treated hostile mm. 
and then huge things happen with these community characters and then they start being like we're your white knights and stuff like that and then they get shit for it yeah. and then they start being like well what do you want us to blah 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 mm-hmm. and then they start like listening to the people in the community mm-hmm. and then they're like oh shit like you know you are in certain circumstances and blah blah and like mm-hmm. a lot of them a lot of the cop characters do go through arcs where it's like oh hey you know if we stop talk and listen instead of just shooting wildly on sight maybe we'll get somewhere and like i think a lot of people who are used to cop dramas and stuff like that do watch the wire and go oh like it's it's kind of like this of showing that the hero who would be a hero in a normal cop Mm. drama yeah is not the cops yeah it's the it's actually like the ringleader of one of the gangs yeah, it, it, it it's it's a lot of yeah. like, and like how you how you talk to people about these kind of issues and communities and stuff. I don't know. The wire is Lamez. <laughs> and also Dominic West, who played Vaujean, is the main cop character, so that's you, something. <laughs> I, think, I think I smell an AU kind of <laughs> yeah. I wouldn't say it's a perfect show. And no, I do I think can't it, imagine it would be. Yeah, and yeah. it you know, it does a lot of shit as well as mm. undoing a lot of shit. But it's it's an interesting comparison, yeah. maybe. Yeah. I think there's only so much reform you can really do for the police. Like, I think it, it sort of needs to be not not reformed, but removed and replaced with something else. Yeah. Like, I also agree. Yeah. Mm. I think that a lot of people <laughs> yeah. Yeah. do not have yeah. the same... Mm-hmm initial understanding mm-hmm. yeah and i suppose having in like introducing in in that way is mm. is gentler you can't force people to change mm. their ideas instantly you yeah. can't be like mm. oh you know i think police are good to let's just destroy the entire police force yeah yeah you are part of a, a, pro- a problematic um yeah institution yeah so it, it talks about him um with his very powerful instincts for um order and regularity and his um hatred for um the vagabond order to which he himself belonged so assumedly the fact that he's come out of criminality and has a distaste for that um he did well (laughs) um so he's 40 um he is an inspector as a young man he'd been a prison warder and then there's a really oh god there's a meme in parks and rec there's like a character who's like oh my god, I'm ten years older than this character. When I was ten, they were a baby. Oh my, oh my god, god, I could have killed, killed them. them. Yeah. And there's, like, one of Vajon and Javert, while Vajon is like, oh my god, he's ten years younger than me. Great. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> yeah, that's all I need to that's say. That's he's 40. Yeah, 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 cool. As okay. soon as you said there's a meme after that age, I was like, there's only one thing that yeah, he was yeah. thinking of. <laughs> But before going closer, let us look more closely at the human face to which we have ascribed to Javert. <laughs> that only ties in stronger to the idea of being a human face on a white body. <laughs> the fact that he has a human face ascribed is just... Hmm. I'm thinking about like making a post, which is 
how fan artists draw Javert, and it's like beautiful, bishy, slightly older, like yeah. sl- um, slim and profile, yeah. ponytail, and then how canonically described. <laughs> <laughs> well, somebody's yeah. like his human face. I promise that it's a human face. <laughs> Why would it not be the face of a human? <laughs> oh, God. Uh, so, yeah, he's described as having a, a flat nose with wide nostrils and huge side whiskers. Ah, um, like, a, like a dog. Actually, no, wait, it depends on the type of dog. Okay, never mind. It does depend on the type of dog. But, yeah, uh, but, which is, I'm assuming, his, his sideburns, which uh, are so iconic for him. Um, when he laughs, a rare and terrible occurrence. His thin lips parted display not only his teeth but his gums, and a deep, a, a deep and savage furrow formed on either side of his nose, as though the, on the muzzle of a beast of prey. So much fan art. <laughs> so so much fan art. <laughs> I'm imagining like the fast bender smile. Oh, where it's just like that. It just keeps going. <laughs> just like he just smiles like a shark. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Mm, Good idea. <laughs> <laughs> I smiled in a disturbing way. Um. Javert on smiling was a bulldog. When he laughed, he was a tiger. He's got hair that falls over his eyebrows. Wrinkles yeah, artists. Yeah, Whereas artists. Whereas it's fringe. Whereas it's emo fringe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's got the, like, year eight haircut. Yeah. You say that looking at me. You know I had that Yeah, haircut. I know. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I do direct that at you. <laughs> what you were doing, yeah. yeah. Oh, when you were saying, you weren't saying generic year eight haircut. You yeah. were saying Grace's year yeah. eight haircut. <laughs> yeah, his eyes resembled a star of wrath, a dark gaze, a tight, formidable mouth, a look. <laughs> <laughs> of fierce command. This is interesting. Um... His mental attitude was compounded of two very simple principles, admirable in themselves, but which, by carrying them to extremes, he made almost evil. Respect for authority and hatred of revolt against it. Mm. Everything in moderation. Everything in moderation. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. But then the idea of, by by carrying positive qualities in scarecoats to to extreme they become evil is is quite an interesting thing mm. i think to push i mean the only like overtly positive positive character is the bishop so far yeah. and we all know he is actually a, a mob boss yeah, yeah. So, yeah. An absolute fuck sassy boy. bitch and i think as well there's an interesting um the respect for authority and a hatred of revolt against it is a specific use of language yeah like Revolution. Of, yeah, like a hatred of revolt against authority. It's like, ah, uh, we have been introduced into this character. He hates revolution. <laughs> <laughs> this might be relevant in the future. Yeah. Yes. 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 Um, it talks about how. How long has that music been playing? It's been. It was like when you were talking about Javert earlier. Oh, really? <laughs> Interesting. Back in track. I'm not sure if it's going to be. It'll probably be picked up, sorry, for the music in the background. Anyone who played any part of the running of the state was invested in in his eyes with a kind of mystical sanctity, and he felt nothing but contempt, aversion, and disgust for those who, even if only once, transgressed beyond the bounds of the law. That's super interesting. Yeah, because I feel like he would be the kind of person who would want to progress higher in ranks. And, like, the idea that... The idea that the educated go into higher ranks in the police force and government and stuff like that 
and then it's just completely inaccess- inaccessible to him. Probably good, but like, <laughs> it's something kind of. The first word in my head was heartbreaking, but that's not what I mean. There's mm. something like, not childish, but like the fact that people in these jobs hold some sort of mystery to him. Mm. Mystery is such a like coded word of like, mm. there is no way that I can understand this. There is no education given to me. And like, there's no way for, of me to access information about these things. And like, th- there's just nothing I can do. Can I raise a fun parallel that I've just thought of? Mm-hmm is um, Valjean in mm. prison afterwards talking to the bishop and going, ah, yes, what a bishop is, mm. is someone who stands very, very far away from you and you can't really hear them. Mm. And that was his that was his idea of what religion was. Mm. I really what like that. Mine, mine was yeah. um, Valjean being the muffin man and polite conversation being something that he can't... He has no... It's a complete mystery how to interact in that turns out these characters who were the same character have <laughs> comparable things in them <laughs> <laughs> yeah but the i suppose the thing is there explicitly is that we will see very soon that he's going to have a clash between those two ideals mm. almost immediately because jean valjean is a mayor mm. yeah and also a criminal. A criminal. <laughs> so like it's it's setting up setting up lots of the, the, the conflicts to come. Mm. Yeah, is so is Jean Valjean currently mayor? Yes, but not as Jean Valjean. But I mean because it just said that anyone who makes any decisions mm. he's like ooh. So shouldn't he be like ooh about Monsieur yeah, Le Maire? Sure. But it already said that he like Stands on corners like yeah. I don't trust you. I don't think he. I think he becomes the mayor very soon. Yeah, because you said he after. became. Hmm. It, was, it was when Monsieur. he was Monsieur Madeleine, yeah. not ah. Monsieur le Maire. So Javert is there for that transitional phase. The second transitional phase, uh-huh. not the first transitional phase. Okay, because so is it? That's different he, than in the movie. He's already the mayor. When Javert, yeah, yeah, because yeah. I was like, yeah. but in the fanfics I just read, <laughs> <laughs> he's already the man. Yeah. yeah, okay, okay, then that then that's fine that he stands on corners, untrusting. Does yeah. he become starry-eyed? Oh, I guess I'll find out. But does he well, become starry-eyed when he becomes well, a man? His, eye, his eyes resemble a star of wrath. So, so yes, that's indeed accurate. <laughs> <laughs> Terrifying cosmos. Mm-hmm. That has to be a fan fiction. You have to write that now. What? Terrifying cosmos. <laughs> what, that's in the his name dark of it? orbs. <laughs> <laughs> They're God. deep and penetrating. <laughs> um, he shared unreservedly the extreme views of those who attribute to human law some sort of power to damn, or if you prefer, to place on record the damned. I completely heard damned as dab. I heard it as dance. Oh, great. <laughs> well, I wanted to hear it as dance. <laughs> Tag yourself, who are you? <laughs> dab, dance or dab? Uh, who set a river sticks at the entrance of society. So the differentiation between human law having the pa- the power to dam or to place on record the damned are quite different things. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. the choice of the wording between those and then his 
correction I find quite interesting because um, by first saying, ah, yes, we attribute to human law the power to damn, mm. and then goes, or if you prefer mm. to put on record those who are already damned. Mm. Like, mm. that's that underpins, I think, a lot of the we damn people by putting them in the roles that we put them into by mm. like shaping them in the way that society shapes them and then punishing them away in the way that society punishes them mm. um, and then writing it down like the, yeah. like you know nothing happens unless something is written down mm. yeah. yeah i just thought, <laughs> I thought it was an interesting turn of phrase and that jean valjean is now able to write things down which comes with his authority he drew a straight line through all that is the most torturous in this world. I just thought, I think it's such a good, like, it's such a, it's such an interesting description. Like, you can imagine, we've seen so much of, we've seen so much moral ambiguity in, like, situations where it's, oh yeah, the thing that this person did is wrong, but we understand the reasons behind it. We mm -hmm. understand the pain that they're in and why these things have happened. And the idea of a character drawing a straight line through that, mm. I think, is descriptive. Yeah, I like the language of it. It kind of... All of the stuff so far really reminds me of... There are certain people of colour who see the world, who choose not... Who choose to say that they don't experience racism, or who place themselves on a hierarchy above, above other people of colour or who complain about people of colour who complain about racism because I think in some way they want to place themselves in a world I mean it's easier it's easier to live in a world if you create this bubble around you where you say that there's no racism so that even if racism isn't is being directed towards you you create this bubble as if it isn't and I think that's quite a sad place to live in but the way that Javert treats the people around him and, and talks about things like drawing a straight line through terrible acts. Through um, all that is all that is most torturous in this world. Yeah, I think that really echoes the kind of attitude that some people of colour do have of like, if I black it out or like censor that it's happened to me, then it hasn't happened to me. And even if, even if, Javert isn't written to be a Romani person or isn't coded to be a person of colour, that kind of, yeah, that kind of attitude he takes really speaks to me of those kind of things. And that's not necessarily not necessarily a race thing either, like, um, there are trans people who do it, there yeah. are queer people who do yeah. it, there are yeah. people with mental illnesses or disabilities who also do it, who place themselves above other people and closer to cisgender, white, straight, neurotypical yeah. people because that way they feel like they can get on with their lives without mm. thinking about struggle mm. there's nothing holding me back other than like the the, the situation that I, yeah like, if I, I pull myself up by my own bootstraps I can just get, I can, there's nothing there's nothing um, institutional in this like mm. it's just I'm just not working hard enough yeah like, but, yeah and, and and I think I think the the, uh, the problem with that is that Things don't get changed by one person. Things get changed when everyone unites and talks about the issues and tries to solve mm. these problems. That's why we have unions. Mm. Go and join your union. And people... It, it defends the status quo as well. Yeah, like it... yeah. And, like, you know that if he was in the 21st century 
and people were complaining about racism in police, you'd be like, oh, but I'm a person of colour and the police hire me, mm. kind of thing, <laughs> of like, mm. and, and that kind of stuff of like, mm. oh no, they can't be racist because I'm here. And then I'm slowly like disenchanting myself to you that, but please don't let this happen to me. <laughs> no, that is, yeah, that is incredibly sad. That's, that's, that's very, very sad. There's a very sad story in that. Yeah. He possessed the conscience appropriate to his function, and his duties were his religion. I think, again, drawing the parallels mm. between his, <laughs> his situation with the police and Dajon mm. with the church mm. as parallels. Explicitly, I mean, that is explicitly what mm. happens here. It, yeah, it, yeah, he would have arrested his own father for escaping prison and denounced his mother for breaking parole, and he would have done it with a glow of conscious rectitude, which just made me think, it's like, ah, oh, so he'd be a paladin. Um, <laughs> um, it talks about his rigorous austerity, isolation, self-denial, and chastity without distractions. Um, a life of unswerving duty with the police service playing the role that Sparta played for the Spartans, fanatical honesty. The spy carved in marble. Interesting. Yeah, but the austerity, isolation, self-denial, and assumedly chastity are all things that um, Arjan imposes upon himself as well. Mm. Um, those are all. Things. It is said that Arjan um, keeps himself celibate. Mm. Two sides of the same coin. Um, I just, I know it won't be worded like that, but just imagine Hugo like, just so you know, he doesn't fuck. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, that's yeah. basically how it is worded. Yeah. Both of them, to be yeah. fair. Both of them. Normally one could never see his forehead hidden by his hat, his eyes buried beneath his eyebrows. Like, the the thing that I draw attention to in there is, do you remember what Valjean did just before he was going to go and murder the bishop? Was pull his hat down over over mm. his over his face to, to hide himself from God, basically. Mm. In Christianity, is there a thing that uh, I very recently learned about uh, a bit more about Judaism and wearing mm. something on your head? Mm. Is there anything in Christianity about hiding yourself from God by wearing a hat? But then you have um, nuns who wear w habits, habits mm. and wimples, wimples, and the archbishops having their huge mm. fuck off hats. I like hats. Yeah. Mm. Uh, not that I can think mm. of. But I'm not mm. an expert yeah. anymore. Yeah. I don't know that that's a the thing. The taller the hat, the closer you are to God. <laughs> Power of Babylon's hat! <laughs> yeah. yeah, I just like, yeah, I like that image of him like pulling the hat down over his mm. head, being like in like in a film directed by us. Like, <laughs> the, the angle and the lighting would be very much the same, like as they put as they put them on, because they're uh -huh. hiding themselves from God. Yeah, cool. Um is the hat over the fringe that's over to I his assume eyebrows? So. I assume so, because otherwise it's and just like his little impenetrable blockade <laughs> You shan't see these eyebrows. <laughs> like he pulls them off and there's just no eyebrows there. <laughs> Oh, it's like me. In his rare leisure moments, he read books, though he hated reading. <laughs> Which is to say that he was not wholly illiterate. Um, the fact was then and now apparent in his speech. 
As we have said, he has no vices. When he was pleased with himself, he allowed himself a pinch of snuff, his sole concession to human frailty. The other thing I've, I've read quoted just so, yeah. many, so, so many times. But um, that's interesting as well, because it's, it's another way that Hugo keeps coming back to describe characters. He comes back to describe characters and their reading habits, and he does do that mm -hmm. with Madame Thenardier as well. Mm. But that's something that you're interested in pulling back towards. He, it's the he reads books but he hates reading mm. which is, like shows his morality compar in comparison to Vajon who reads to improve himself mm. and the other person that we've seen just about actually I think Muriel read fairly extensively but I can't remember how that was described mm. okay, never um, Madame Tenardier reads pulpy shitty books mm. that are fluff basically mm. and you know that shows her morality but then mm. yeah so is Javert actually kind of reading for the same reasons Jean Valjean, he doesn't want to be reading but he feels like he should yeah. because that's what society is probably saying that a man of his standing should be doing Yeah. or he's he's making all the right gestures mm. but not for the right reasons mm. Mm -hmm. like he's doing it because he feels like he like he's like oh this is the right thing to do if I tick this box that makes me this yeah yeah it's human face. Yeah. <laughs> it's human soup. No. Humans read. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, it talks about the um, the people people without status and um, being terrified of him. The mention of his name as suffices to scatter them, and the sight of the, him petrifies them. He has an eye constantly fixed on on Monsieur Madeleine, filled with suspicion and puzzlement. Um, Madeleine realizes, but seems to regard it as a matter of no importance um, and doesn't question him but just gets on with life and treats that with an easy good humour. <laughs> From certain words Javert had let it fall that it was evident that secretly with the inquisitiveness of his kind which is much which is as much a matter of instinct as of deliberate intent he had studied all the traces of his uh, earlier life which Monsieur Madeleine had left in other places. Uh -huh. So basically, he's secretly going around mm. trying to he's find out. He's being the gossip, like Fontaine's that's coming. Oh, okay. that's that's coming in the next three chapters. Oh my god! <laughs> yeah, that that's there's an extensive parallel to that mm. fairly soon um, about the destructiveness that gossip can wreak on people. Mm. Um, yeah, so yeah, he's looking to try and find out about Monsieur Madeleine's earlier life. Um, he seems to know that someone had been making inquiries in another part of the country regarding a family that had disappeared. Um, he was once heard to mutter to himself, I think I've got him. But after that, he was moodily silent. Just some dramatic bullshit. <laughs> Just unbelievable. He was disconcerted by Monsieur Madeleine's ease and tranquility. But an occasion arose when his own strange demeanour attracted the notice of Monsieur Madeleine. What happened? as follows <laughs> dun, dun, dun. Da, da, da. well Javert there's a lot to yeah. unpack with Javert yeah. yeah there was a lot <laughs> yeah it was a lot. a lot of content there yeah I've mostly taken away the dog body yeah <laughs> 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 but also the parallels with Jean mm. which makes sense now that we know that he was once one boy mm. yeah it's really interesting there are a lot more they're a lot more explicit. They're a lot more heavily drawn than I necessarily assumed that they would be. Mm. All of those parallels. 
especially the ones between um, the religion and the law. Mm. I really want to think more about Javert and Madame Thénardier and like mm. how because I don't think they interact. I know that um, Mr. Thénardier and Javert do interact later, but it would be you know in in the musical when um, Cosette and Eponine Eponine see each other across the gate. It'd be really interesting if Javert and Madame Thénardier had the same kind of like interaction, which they don't get. Mm. Yeah, they're very weird parallels. And if you put Javert, if you put Jean Valjean and Mister Thénardier as like opposites or parallels or mm. antagonist protagonist, and then you put Javert and Madame Thénardier, I don't know. There's something interesting about that mm. of like if Javert and Jean Valjean were one person. But then you split them and you gave one to the one to Nadia to each. Mm. The fact that Javert's what being the foil is there. Yeah. And like the whole idea of I don't know, with Madame to Nadia a lot of it is about children and how she treats children. Mm. So I'm trying to think about how Javert treats children, which I don't know, I can't remember there being that much of, but because of his actions, Cosette and Gavroche. Yeah. But it's not as far as I can remember, it's not as much mm. in the books as it is in the productions. So, Child Watch. Child Watch. Child Watch. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it'd be interesting to go back the way, the, explicitly some of the ways that Madame Thénardier is described and compare yeah. that to Javert. Yeah. yeah, do you think that Hugo's, like, even though Javert doesn't enjoy reading, whether or not he's praising that he still does it, he definitely like damns madame Thénardier. yeah because she's really because he's like oh they're trash mm. but at least she's like enjoying it like which to me mm. i'd be like well at least you're enjoying it whereas for hugo it's more like how mm. dare you enjoy this yeah so that he's does he, hugo want people to enjoy books though yeah it's that it, it is like is he like no you should be whether or not you like it you should be reading books of value in mm. square quotes yeah I, I don't know it makes oh, me happy yeah, that she gets she's enjoying books mm. but that hugo doesn't like that but mm. that he doesn't he's not like oh he doesn't even enjoy these fucking books he's just like he That's... doesn't but he's still reading them so i'm not gonna like give him shit for it but mm. that, that's a interesting uh, not parallel the opposite of that between the two yeah between the two characters um this Madame Thénardier was a robust, big-boned and red-headed, a typical soldier's woman with a roughness, of char- a roughness characteristic of her kind, yet oddly with a hint of sentiment, a kind of mannish simper which he owed to her fondness for popular fiction, those fustian romances which cater for the fantasy of shop girls and tavern wenches. What makes that simper mannish if he's saying these books are usually for women? I think it's her... Is he implying that it's a lecherous enjoyment? If he's in... I don't know, I can't imagine. Maybe. But then but bar wenches implies, uh, and tavern keepers implies, like, henchwoman, in my head, yeah. of, like, that kind of, like, Germanic, European, yeah. like, large woman. Well, he describes her as robust and big-boned. Robust. With a r- roughness of characteristic. Mm. Like, it, that's... I think that is what they imply of her. Yeah, so maybe there's not quite as much there as... Well, it's given us something to think about, yeah. and mm. we can like look into it, and then. Mm. And you've definitely got, you've definitely got some, there's some stuff that you can play with. Yeah, it. cool. Well, 
This has been. This has been Brad Barricades, <laughs> a Lomas podcast produced by me, Nima Martin, and Julian Yap. It was a Captain's Collection podcast. If you have any comments, questions, or quibbles, you can email us, lamerspodcast, L-E-S-M-I-S-podcast at gmail.com. Send us a tweet at lamerspodcast or on Tumblr at Bread and Barricades. If you like this episode and you would like to help send Stevie to the library, we have a Kofi. Like one pound, two pounds would really help us just with upkeep fees and yeah, like I said, send Stevie to the library. Our sound director is Jade, who you can find on her website jdwasabi.com It has links to her bandcamp where you can download our opening tune for free or pay what you like. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. Oh god. <laughs> <laughs> that was a squeak. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for listening. <laughs> Brilliant. Talking of Jaffa cakes. Oh, we are just going to be snacking throughout. I thought, like. No, I'm going to take them out of the wrapper so that I don't. So we can snack more stuff away. Yeah.